Good day, and welcome to the first episode of the New Asian Century. I'm Arash, and you might already know me from Iran Military Vlog, where I made videos on Iran's military developments. But more often these days, I'll be on Twitter. Uh, New Asian Century is a podcast I recently started, and it reflects the course of West Asia. Uh, we've had a number of terms floating around uh, of this century being of a particular region or country. We've had the Pacific Century focused on the U.S., the Asian Century focused on Japan and the Asian Tigers. We've had the Chinese Century with the opening up of China under Deng Xiaoping. And the New Asian Century signifies a much broader global shift involving Western Asia. And of particular interest for this podcast is the role of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, and I believe that it's an underestimated and undervalued perspective that requires attention. And because it is Iran that's primarily challenging the existing global hegemony, hegemony being defined as the supremacy of one state over others, typically on four pillars, the military, economic, cultural, and political supremacy. Uh, and it seems almost impossible to get a better perspective of where Asia is headed without taking Iran into account. And what better way to explore what's taking place in Western Asia than to talk with the natives from the region about their knowledge and their experience. And since the coronavirus is on everyone's mind this month and likely in the months ahead, that'll be the main theme of the coming episodes. My first guest is an Iranian nurse and somewhat of a Twitter celebrity. Her name is Zahra Shafi, and she's currently a dental student, but she's had experience working as a nurse in Iran, and hopefully she can help us figure things out as the pandemic continues to spread. First and foremost, allow me to thank our guest, Zahra Shafi, for making the time and putting up the effort for coming and giving us her valued input. Um, there seems to be a great interest in hearing from healthcare professionals globally, but when it comes to Iran, we rarely hear any of those voices. And that appears to reflect a broader trend of sanctions, silencing, banning, suspending, and so forth of the Iranian side, the Iranian voice. So Zaha, could you tell me a bit about your studying background? How did you get into the role of becoming a nurse? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Salam, Agarash. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. You're really doing a great job. After I was graduated from high school, I had to take the National University entrance exam, which is called Concours and is very competitive it's one of the hardest exams ever um, it's the only way to gain admission to top tier universities in Iran um, my major in high school was experimental sciences so I uh, could apply for universities of medical sciences uh, I was admitted to the nursing faculty in Shiraz which is one of the most high-ranking universities in the country Mm, after the second year we could apply for part-time student jobs we could work in any hospitals that were managed by the university and all the graduates are required to do community work in health centers for two years uh, so after graduation we all had to send our applications to the health ministry because the ministry manages the distribution of health services in the country. 
uh, and uh, this is called a compulsory service program and uh, it has worked pretty well to overcome the shortage of human resources especially in rural areas um, I did my service program in a special hospital for head and neck surgery um, I worked in the operating room for uh, ophthalmic surgeries then after six months I took the concour exam for the second time and uh, this time I was admitted to dentistry school. Now I'm a second year student. Uh, these two years our studies were mostly based on uh, theoretical courses and for receiving clinical trainings we have to pass a national qualification test. Um, it will be held in, in the summer which will probably be cancelled because uh, even though we did take um, online classes but uh, they were not very consistent and uh, the student committee in the university had some reports from many students that said they could not keep up with uh, online education so this is one of the challenges that the university is facing right now Thank you for uh, elaborating on that. It seems almost inescapable to first talk about the mental frames that are the product of American hegemony. Uh, across the Atlantic and many Western states, people tend to have the view that the Iranian healthcare system is run down, that like many third world countries, it performs very poorly, and that people are not being taken care of. Uh, what are some of the major misconceptions about healthcare in Iran? That you yourself hear very often and what has been your experience looking back at your career as a healthcare professional uh, I can't claim to be an expert I'm only sharing my experiences and uh, observations because I was directly involved with the healthcare system for the past six years uh, the Islamic Republic's policy is to distribute healthcare services to all citizens as a basic right. And to achieve that goal, many reforms have been implemented in Iran's healthcare policies. Uh, one of the major steps in improving these policies was the creation of primary healthcare networks. Because of that, now we have more than 17,000 uh, house uh, health houses in uh, rural areas that provide um, to more than 95% of Iran's rural population uh, with primary healthcare services like screening of mothers and children and vaccination. Uh, these centers are all run by local healthcare workers and they are all um, trained by university. Yeah, so all these measures were taken uh, during the past 40 years uh, and uh, despite the 8 years of military invasion and 40 years of economic sanctions now we have one of the most qualified healthcare systems in the region every year many tourists come to Iran to receive medical treatments we have advanced in medical sciences, 
we have reached uh, self-sufficiency in producing medications and medical equipments. We import many uh, high-qualified medical equipments to European and African and Asian countries. We have improved in um, public health indicators, which are maternal mortality rate, infant mortality rate, vaccination coverage and life expectancy. So unlike the misconceptions, the statistics show remarkable progress in Iran's healthcare system. You're saying that there's been a lot of progress, but within many developing countries or what are known as emerging economies, there's still a very visible difference between public and private healthcare facilities. And if it's not visible, it's intuitive. Uh, many endowed families in Iran tend to prefer private clinics for their health concerns where they pay an extra premium to be admitted and treated. And the assumption is, of course, that these institutions are safer. They're better equipped with care. Would you say that's still a correct assumption? And what are the major differences between private and public health care in Iran? In Iran, the public sector is the main provider of healthcare services for the majority of people, both in rural and uh, urban areas. Um, so they might not be able to pay attention to some detail as much as private hospitals. Some families have high expectations for the quality of the services they receive, so they choose private hospitals which uh, do better in terms of uh, appearance, like the physical environment, the waiting times, uh, the hotel and care services. But in terms of medical treatment results or the staff's skills, public hospitals are as good as private one. And I know for a fact that uh, in some cases, the public hospitals are well, are more equipped and um, are better, like uh, for the healthcare services for mothers and children, because the policymakers emphasize on that issue is very high. So the public hospitals are all very well equipped about that. I think that's a very important take that we don't hear very often, how Iran is leveling the difference between private and public health care providers. And with that said, we're all very curious about how this nationwide health care system dealt with the early expansion of coronavirus. According to you, how did the sentiment evolve during that early phase of the virus becoming more and more urgent within Iran's healthcare community? So what was the experience when we talk about the sense of urgency? And maybe just as important, do you believe that it was being underestimated? Uh, the first cases of the new coronavirus infection were reported on February 19, and uh, it was in the central city of Om. Uh, it was two days after Iran purchased test kits. Before that, Iran didn't have test kits. Then, like all the other countries, special committees were established Universities were alerted, several boards were assigned for COVID-19 patients. But the shortage of test kits worsened the situation. Many patients were referred to hospital as COVID-19 patients while they had other respiratory complications. 
and uh, there were some uh, subclinical patients who did not show any symptoms so they were not quarantined or hospitalized right now iran is capable of testing 7000 people every day but the first days it was not possible to test patients and doctors had to uh, reconsider the criteria under such condition the chest x-rays or ct scans uh, were examined in the absence of test kits at the policy level there seems to be a very divergent set of policy instruments that governments are using in order to contain the coronavirus some countries have gone into complete lockdown others are simply advising citizens to stay at home what are currently the rules and regulations for iranian citizens in place from the first days of the outbreak there were debates among the officials of rouhani's administration on whether they should establish quarantine or not uh, they did not lock down any cities uh, but schools and mosques and churches and shrines were closed down from the first days uh, and uh, those who were in favor of full force quarantine uh, they were mostly concerned about the Nowruz holidays and uh, the travelings of people because these holidays are Iranians main opportunity to travel around the country but this time they imposed uh, restrictions to prevent people from entering the cities that they don't live in uh, Rouhani was not in favor of closing down the offices uh, he issued the lockdown for a very short time and very late many experts including the health minister believe that the quarantine should be imposed adequately in order to prevent the worsening of the situation uh, i've heard a campaign of a smart distancing instead of social distancing well it doesn't sound as smart at all uh, i believe that if um, people go out right now to their workplaces, it will neutralize all the efforts that were done in the past few weeks. The condition was just getting a tiny little bit better and it might get even worse. Uh, right now I'm uh, mostly concerned about the people who did not take the quarantine seriously or the people who have to work and cannot stay inside. The government should have imposed the quarantine uh, with more strict rulings uh, but considering the situation in western countries uh, those who were never targeted by economic sanctions it seems like we're actually doing pretty good considering the situation I've mentioned before that Iran was the target of a major propaganda campaign during the early outbreak of the coronavirus some have blamed Iran for mismanagement and incompetence the deputy health minister was ridiculed by Western-run state television channels for contracting the virus. Some have blamed hospitals for covering up infections and deaths. Um, but do you believe there was a cover-up? The mainstream media covered Iran's situation very thoroughly for the past few weeks. And as always, the reports were... Uh, misleading and misinforming or sometimes they were just plain lies 
Uh, one accusation that I hear uh, many journalists repeat is that uh, Iran didn't stop uh, the flights from or to China because they didn't want to um, because Iran didn't want to sabotage the relation with China, which is not true at all. Uh, if um, like one week or a few weeks before the outbreak started in Iran. Uh, the government uh, assigned a special committee and they issued a ban against all the flights to or from China. But the problem was that uh, many Iranians were residing in China and many Chinese were here in Iran. So four flights uh, went to China through an uh, Iranian airliner named Mohan Air, which is sanctioned by the US. And uh, other than that, all the f other flights were cargo flights and they were to bring medical equipments and humanitarian aid to Iran. And uh, the other story that got a ridiculous great amount of attention was the angry mob who attacked the closed down shrines or those who recorded themselves as they licked the shrines. It was very ridiculous because there were also other people who went out to streets to dance and celebrate the beginning of the new year. And uh, stupidity is not exclusive to Iran. There are al always some idiots who endanger other people's lives and health by uh, acting so idiotic and uh, stupidity has no border, it's happening everywhere. Another thing is that uh, many people repeatedly say that Ayatollah Khamenei as Iran's leader of revolution ignored all the scientific facts and piled on conspiracy theories and uh, accused America of creating the virus. This is not true. Uh, in his New Year address, he said that America is offering to help Iranian people. Uh, it's uh, not sincere. It's not a sincere offer uh, because the sanctions have always hurt Iranian people for the past four decades. Uh, I quote him. He said that uh, I do not know the legitimate that how legitimate that accusation is. But when such an accusation exists, which reasonable in individual can trust you with medication? Uh, he didn't deny any facts. He didn't state any conspiracy theories. Uh, and even as the commander-in-chief, he asked all the sectors of uh, armed forces to completely cooperate with the health ministry. And as a Shia merja, he issued a religious fatwa for the people who follow him to avoid unnecessary travelings and said that it's every believer's obligation to uh, observe the medical restrictions. Uh, so based on this narrative that uh, the Iranian government is uh, covering up the facts, many investigative journalists came up with different stories. One of them was uh, the fact that uh, Iran is um, 
Iran is making some mass graves and the satellite imageries were, were shared to show that uh, there were some mass graves in Qom and that place is not even closed down that's uh, open to public to visit and it was um, not even true all the information that was in that article they said that the mass graves are so vast that they can be seen from a space it was very ridiculous uh, in my opinion these stories were meant to distract the western audience from the tragedy that was about to happen in their own countries and also those journalists were doing the job for their government who uh, are complicit in every death that happens in Iran because of the lack of medications because of the US sanctions uh, by promoting the narrative that Iran is so evil, the regime is killing people, so our sanctions uh, don't seem even to be that bad. Uh, the British state media were mocking our officials for contracting the disease, and meanwhile, their government, the British government, was confiscating the many million masks that we bought before the outbreak or the Swiss channel that was supposed to help to pay and buy medications uh, it was blocked by America and the foreign ministry's spokesperson uh, said it a month ago that America doesn't let any trades to be done through that channel uh, right now the shortage of protective gears and uh, equipment, medical equipment and even medications have been replaced now by the mass production, uh, the domestic productions and the humanitarian aid from a few countries. But it caused a lot of problem in the few first weeks. They say that Iran spends money on proxy war and by proxy war they mean assisting the resistance movements who are fighting against uh, the western mass murdering rapist troops who are occupying our neighboring countries or the fight against the head-chopping takfiri terrorists who are funded and equipped by western governments or the gulf tyrants they say that uh, but what is the reason that they don't sell us medications there are children who are suffering from a rare skin condition that is known as uh, butterfly disease and uh, they need special bandages uh, that a Swedish company produces and this company refused to sell us those bandages uh, last year and at least 14 children lost their lives because of that because of the US sanctions now recently there was some news about Iran's ability to manufacture rapid testing kits that can offer three-hour results for coronavirus positives. Uh, and of course, it's a country that's historically tried to become as self-sufficient as possible and become a major exporter of pharmaceuticals. Is there any other expertise that Iran could offer other countries in battling the virus? Uh, Iran now produces real-time PCR test kits for COVID-19, uh, which is a major step on the way of gaining self-sufficiency in the fight against this disease 
and uh, we already produce 95% more than 95% of the drugs and medications that we need in the country and now we produce 80,000 kits every week that enables the medical centers to uh, test uh, almost 7,000 more than 7,000 patients every day uh, it shows uh, Iran's capability in the medical and research field and uh, for many years Iran has been among uh, the leading candidates uh, in stem cell technology and sciences and uh, so many knowledge-based companies who are active on this field has announced that they are ready to export the technology and also the companies that manufacture medical equipments have improved their productions as good as European-made ones. Um, Iran's health ministry launched a hotline uh, which is 3040. They have experts that consult you uh, on your symptoms. Um, they also launched an online website for online screening and they have reported that 70 million people have been screened through this website uh, which was a good step in uh, decreasing the workload uh, from hospitals as uh, centers that could be dangerous for vulnerable people. They can easily catch the infection from hospitals. Thank you so much, Zahra, for helping us make sense of what's happening in Iran and the progress that's being made by a country so viciously under siege. I, I really appreciate the in-depth answers you gave us, and it goes to show how important the people on the ground really are in these conversations. My next episode will stay on the course of COVID-19 as we explore the way in which the U.S. is seeking to disrupt Iran's ability to contain the coronavirus. An Iranian economist will help me try to better understand where the sanctions are currently in place and how it's impeding Iran's healthcare capacity. This is Arash for The New Asian Century. I thank you for listening, and I hope to see you very soon.